Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, listeners, Kevin and I need your help. Yes, we need your help. Please, please, please. We need your stars. We need your reviews, you guys, on iTunes so we can start to climb those iTunes rating charts. It's simple. Open iTunes, click on the iTunes store, search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Then click on Ratings and Reviews under the Customer Reviews click write a review then let us know what you think from one to five stars if you need some help think of one star being carol channing and paul lynn in the road company of the last five years (laughs) and five stars being free front row tickets to hamilton (laughs) although when you think about it i actually would give five stars to the road company of carol channing and paul lynn in the last five years because i think that would be Uh, awesome i would love to hear can i hear moving too fast as paul (laughs) (laughs) that's the one i really want she's the sixth the goddess (laughs) And through Erica Schwartz and Danica Weiss and the Handelman twins. So there you go. You can also leave a comment if you like. That's it. That's your reviews. It. Send us Thank your reviews, you. please. Thank you. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain and make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain. Broadway's living legends. Oh, and go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to our podcasts on Broadway World and Stitcher. When Kevin and I first created this podcast, today's guest was at the top of both of our lists. Truth. Since the mid-1960s, our guest has been gracing stages all across the country. In the 1960s, audiences could see him star alongside Robert Goulet and David Wayne in The Happy Time, for which he received a Tony nomination. So young. In the 1970s, he had the opportunity to work alongside Bob Fosse when he took over the title role in Pippin and made that commercial. The, our, our favorite yeah, commercial, yeah, which we want mm-hmm, to talk about. The yep. 1980s brought him his first Tony Award for the revival of Sweet Charity. Plus, audiences first got to see two of my favorite musicals that he composed, Three Guys Naked from the Waist Down and Mail. Mm-hmm. And in the 1990s, he starred on Broadway in the role he is most identified with, Marvin, the selfish but loving husband and lover in falsettos. Following that came Elegies, which is one of my personal favorites. Ooh. It is Legally Blonde, On the Town, and countless others. Well, what more can we say to tell us what it was like to work with legends like our champion Bob Fosse and William Finn. Here is the Tony Award winner, Michael Rupert. (laughs) 
Hey Michael, guys. hey, yeah, welcome, welcome well, well, thanks. Behind the thanks. curtain, thanks. good Thank to be here. You. Yeah. So, how did a boy from Denver, Colorado, <laughs> fall in love with musical theater? Well, I, you know, uh, I was born in Denver, but when I was, by the time I was, I think I was like nine or ten, um, my dad, <clears throat> my dad moved us all to Los Angeles. So I really grew up in L.A. What part of L.A.? Uh, a little town called San Marino, which is near Pasadena. Yes, oh, yeah. I'm yeah. from Thousand Oaks. Oh, yeah. Ventura oh, County wow. area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, and, you know, I got out there and, you know, I, I, as a little kid, I was like, you know, I was a singer, mm-hmm. you know. I, I mean, that I, I had a decent voice. You singing like in church choirs. Yeah, or like, I, t- I uh, think the first thing I ever sang was was uh, "Oh Holy Night" nice. at midnight mass. <laughs> nice, you know, Wonderful. And, classic. And I think my voice cracked. Yeah. You know, it was it was one of those kind of things. I was probably like eleven. Yeah, but you know, I just. Um, you know, because I grew up in near Pasadena, I was near the Pasadena, Pasadena Playhouse. Yeah. Which back in the 60s was a really a big going concern. Uh, it's, you know, still is, but very, very different now. It was a, mm-hmm. it was a school. And um, <clears throat> and I just, asked, you know, I just asked my parents, you know, could I take uh, a, an acting class? I was like, I th- really th- I think I was 11 years old. And, oh, my gosh. And I thought, can I do, you know, would they let me do this? And my parents thought, oh, okay, that's cool. Why not? You know. So your parents weren't pushing you into this. This was oh, all no, on your no, own no, accord. No. My parents weren't pushing me at all. But they just thought, well, this is a, a good way for him to make friends and to just, you know. How was it on your radar? I mean, were you a big hmm. movie watcher? Did you go to see shows? Uh, and, yeah, no, I, I liked know, movies a lot. I, I didn't go to see shows. I mean, but, you, like, you know, a- the first thing I remember, I think the, the, the first thing. Uh, that that caused me to to be even aware of musical theater was and I don't know why they had these, but my parents had the the LPs oh, yeah. of uh-huh. the original cast recordings of South Pacific and Carousel. Oh, how cool! Now yeah. I don't know why the hell they had these what, what right. because my, my parents are not you know in the business at all. They're not you know <clears throat> I don't know why, and I never even asked them why they had those yeah. things. But I listened to them constantly. Yeah. They fascinated me, you know. As a kid. What did your parents do for a living? Uh, my dad was with the Los Angeles Times. Okay. Uh, my mother was the, the secretary, to, secretary to the dean of USC Medical School. Oh, wow. Wow. And um, so, again, they were not in the business at all. Right. But, um, you know... I just, you know, I just wanted to go take an acting class. I thought, you know, I was kind of the, you know, uh, uh, the class clown yeah. and uh, a silly kid, you know. Yeah. And um, I did. I went to, you know, they let me go to Pasadena Playhouse to go to an acting acting class. And I ended up getting cast in a main stage play at the Pasadena Playhouse, a play called King of Hearts yes. by Gene Kerr. It was like one of those boulevard oh, yeah. comedies from the 1950s. You not, know, the musical. And, not the musical. <laughs> not the musical. Not the musical. It was a play. And... Um, you were twelve or something. I was like that. I was uh, twelve. Yeah, I was twelve, and I got cast as the like the juvenile lead in this play, and um, you know, uh, Hollywood story. Uh, yeah. An agent <laughs> happened to be in the house one night. Oh my god! Literally, uh, her name was Tony Kelman, uh-huh. and she was actually Jodie Foster's first agent. Crazy. And she ha- she had a she's passed away now, but she had a, a an a, an agency exclusively for kids. Okay, like and uh, does, yeah. she approached my parents, who had come to pick me up after the performance, and myself about 
actually handling me. She said, could I represent Michael? And Because oh. I, I think that he has maybe potential here to do some, something. And, of course, my parents were kind of like, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> like, not quite sure. Like, is this, yeah, sure. Right. Wait, this is supposed to be like a little hobby. Right. Um, <laughs> right. And um, sure enough, I... Um, you know, uh, but my parents agreed. They said, well, okay. Yeah. And I think later, years later, my dad said, well, we thought maybe if he does a little work in TV or something, he can put money away for college and become, and become an orthodontist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that was the whole goal. Sure. That's the calling. Um, in fact, my orthodontist at the time and my parents had this whole plan because he, <laughs> like, he was like a big wig at USC Dental School. And he and his wife oh had gosh. put him through dental school by being a competi- competition ballroom dance team, of all things. That's amazing. Isn't that wild? That's random. So my doctor and my parents said, had this idea that I would, you know, I could actually make some money <laughs> and he would pave my way into USC dental school. Wow. So really, I mean, I was going to become a dentist, yeah. you know, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but um, my, anyway, I, I, I actually started going out on auditions mostly for TV stuff like My Three Sons. Yeah, you remember did. that old show? Yeah. Yeah. And I saw and what Partridge the Family. The Partridge or Family. Yeah. That was a little later, a but, regular, but, but later, even yeah. earlier in the sixties, yeah. you know, My Three Sons. Smoke. And Do you remember your these... first one, like the first time you were on set and you were because you had to learn how because you were on stage, you know, oh, as totally. a twelve year old, yeah. but you know, you had cameras and all yeah. that around you on Well you know. also well kind of as a twelve year old too, you don't really Get it? You know, uh, in a way, I kind of thought like, it. "Well, you just do it." I don't know. Yeah. You know, I was a kid, totally. and it was play in a way. It wasn't work. It was just like play. Yeah. And they kind of taught me how to, you know, do a close up and hit your mark for the camera and whatever. You know. Wow. Uh, but then, when uh, a little later that year, when I was twelve, I actually got cast in my first uh, musical, which was Peter Pan. Huh. Ooh. A, a production of Peter Pan in Los Angeles with Vincent Price as Captain Hook. What? Oh my yeah. gosh, that's amazing! It, it was very cool. This is like the the you know the one we know the musical version, like the yeah. Miss Charlotte. Yeah, it and was the, the musical Benny version. Yeah, yeah, the Mary Martin. A woman yeah. named Janet Blair wow. played yeah. Peter Pan, and she had kind of had a career, you know, like being the second to Mary Martin. <laughs> Like she, she took over the national oh, tour yeah. of South Pacific after oh, Mary yes. Martin. We were just she talking, t- about, just her. talking about her. Yeah. Away this year. Janet yeah. Blair played Peter Pan, and I and um, Vincent Price was Captain Hook, and I played slightly soiled leader of the Lost Boys. <laughs> now I have to ask you, what is it like working with Vincent Price? Well, it was very cool. You know, yeah. I mean, I I really only knew him from you know like horror movies on TV. You uh, know, was he scary uh, in real life? No, no, he was. A wonderful man. He was he was a, a gentleman. He was really great. And and I remember even one one day he came up to me and and said, "If ever I do a production of a play called The Winslow Boy, you should play The Winslow Boy." What a sweet, you know, so specific. But so and nice. that actually almost happened, oh, but uh, it ultimately <laughs> didn't. Uh, Were you taking voice lessons at this time? No, I really just wasn't. I natural. was just I was just singing. You know, I was just being a kid mm-hmm. and. Uh, didn't know any technique really. Mm. It was just kind of all natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but at, doing that production of Peter Pan in Los Angeles, I really fell in love with musical theater. I thought this is very cool. I love singing on stage. I love performing. And um, so I always thought I'd like to do more of it. 
And uh, but I really didn't for a few years. I mean, I, I just I, but I did do a lot of television work. Yeah. In, in California. Again, my parents were very supportive, you know, because my mother would have to go to the set with me. That's you know, right. I mean, that's, yeah. they had right. child she labor had laws. And she yeah. Was like, yeah know, she would. Ha- I, I had no way of getting around. Right. So they were they were actually very supportive. And uh, she took some time off from her job to oh, get me well. to places. And they were just great, great yeah. people. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and then, uh, you know, uh, when I was 15, just uh, three years later, I uh, got a call from my agent to audition for The Happy Time for Gower Champion. The same agent uh, that found you in Pasadena? Same agent. Wow. I still have the same agent. Wow. I actually st- had the same agent through my contract with Pippin. What? Tony really? Kelman still represented me. So she got me. to see you go all the way. Mm-hmm. Like, that's gross. Yeah. That's special. And... Um, so I got it, you know. Uh, so I got uh, called to audition for Pip, uh, for the Happy Time. Yeah. Um, not really. My parents and I not really kind of grasping at the idea that this was a Broadway show, that I was going to have to go to New York. Yeah, totally. Uh, but um, but I ended up uh, auditioning for that, and Gower Champion apparently had seen. He told me this later on. He'd seen like. 700 boys for this role. Oh, wow. He said, I saw, he said, I saw so many people. They had auditioned in New York and Los Angeles and Houston and London and uh, literally Chicago, Atlanta. Oh, my goodness. And they finally came back to Los Angeles and uh, they were starting rehearsal in just, uh, just like three weeks in Los Angeles because the show opened. It was the second show play ever to play the Amundsen Theater at the, at the Music cool. Theater. Yeah, yeah that's totally. cool. At the Music Center in wow. L.A. So, but because Jower, Gower lived in Los Angeles, right. he wanted to rehearse, and Goulet, and Goulet, lived, did, yeah. Goulet lived in Los Angeles, uh, they wanted to rehearse in L.A. So he came back kind of, you know, kind of thinking like, oh my God, I still haven't found a kid, and it's a huge role. I mean, it's a really pivotal role yeah, in the show. Yeah. And... Um, uh, and I had not auditioned for it the first time around in Los Angeles. Of course. And so I came in to audition. And I was the second to last person that they saw for, for the role of BB in, yeah. in The Happy Time. And very briefly, kind of a, a fun little, cute little story, though I didn't, I didn't get it at the time. Uh, John Kander told me this a few, few months later. Um, I came into the room to audition with Gower and Kander and Ebb and all of the, you know, ex- uh, other than David Merrick, who wasn't there, the producer, you know, all of the a huge group of production people. Yeah. And I came in with my stack of music <laughs> and, uh, and sang a couple of my, sang, sang a couple of songs. Do you remember what they were? I, I do, absolutely. I sang, um, um, <clears throat> oh, what's that song for South Pacific? Uh, uh, Younger than no, no. the, the uh, carefully taught no, <laughs> I can't think of it right Bally now. Valley high no, <laughs> the one he doesn't drag. Uh, oh, honey bun, honey bun. I, I, I couldn't think of the title. Right. I sang honey bun. One hundred and one pounds of fun. That's my little you, you precocious know, here I am, little year old, fifteen year old. And I sang <laughs> a song. Um, and I sang a, a a ballad from a movie called The Great Race. That was a movie with Jack Lemmon, yeah, um, and Tony Curtis had everybody and their mother called called yeah. the Sweetheart Tree. They say there's a tree in the forest. Really, kind of a, a sweet little song. What a great that for song. For some reason, I really loved this song, the Sweetheart Tree. So I sang those songs, 
and and the group around the table huddled for a second as I stood there, you know, my 15-year-old. And again, I wasn't even ner- I wasn't really nervous. I was just a 15-year-old kid. Yeah. Like, right. just like thinking, adventure. like, well, this is another kind of thing to do. Did, I don't you, know. did you know who they were? I mean, no. I, okay. I didn't really even know who Gower Champion was. Uh-huh. Yeah. I didn't know Candor and Ebb. They had just had Cabaret. That was it. Yeah, yeah, really. Huge success. Yeah. Uh, and, and Gower uh, finally turned and said to me, uh, could you wait, wait, could you sit over in the corner? For us, please, because uh, we have one other young young man we'd like to take a look at, but we'd like to talk to you. And um, I said, okay, sure, whatever. So I took my stack of music, and I sat over in the corner, and this kid came in. Don't remember who he you was. You stayed in the room? I stayed in the room. Oh, that's amazing. I was in the room. And uh, I stayed in the room, and this kid came in, and, um, and just to show you how not a big deal this was to me, this kid came in, and uh, so Gower, the first thing he said was, well, what are you going to sing for us? And he said, well, I don't really know. I, I, I didn't bring anything and stuff. And so, and I said, maybe there's something in my music you could sing. What a sweetheart, Michael. Maybe there's, maybe you want to look through my music, and maybe you can sing something here. Maybe there's a song you know. And we went through the music, and he picked out something. I don't remember what it was now. And uh, I sat back down, not even thinking anything about it. And... A few months later, when we were in rehearsal, can, I was in, in a room, rehearsal room with John Kander. He was teaching me some music. Nice. And he said, you know, I just have to tell you, you know the reason you got this part? Not only are you talented, but what you did for that kid in that rehearsal room was who this boy was. Oh, my oh God. how sweet. <gasps> Isn't that funny? That is amazing. Because I, and again, just, I didn't think of it at the time. Yeah. Because they were all shocked that I was helping my competition. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know? In this business, when people are like... Totally. You know? And, and uh, you know, of course, I'd never do that now. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's the last time Michael's ever done that. No, but it was, it was, it was oh. really a, kind of a funny thing. Refreshing and it, it's kind too, of a story you know? that has stayed with me oh, yeah. all these years. Uh, but that just, again, kind of shows you that I was just a teenager yeah. not thinking about competition or the business. or It was just like, here was a kid in need. And I thought, well, I'll look at it. I got like 30 songs here. Maybe there's something you can say. What totally. generosity. Yeah, yeah well. Now, <laughs> no, but so, now, what's the rehearsal process like? We, we love the happy time. Yeah, and we, yeah, we yeah. try to expose all of our students to it because we think the score is so gorgeous. What is this rehearsal process like? Well, it was, it was it, it, I just remember it being an adventure and a lot of fun because, again, I was a kid. Yeah. And we rehearsed on a soundstage at an old movie studio, the Allied Artists Movie Studio in East Hollywood. Oh, wow. So when we weren't rehearsing or in school, because we had to be, you know, we had to be in school three hours a day, we were running around the back lot and, you know, on Western Street. And and it was like, it was just like a, of an incredibly fun adventure. Oh, yeah, what a playground. I remember not, again, not being impressed that this was Robert Goulet, who was a very big star at the time. Yeah. Oh, oh, most definitely. Uh, David Wayne, who was already kind of a legend. A a beloved. It did not occur to me that these people were big deals or who Gower Champion really was. These were just people, you know, and... And I was more interested in just having fun and being with... There were a lot of boys in the show. You know, there was like a boys' school. So there was a lot of kids my age. So we were just having an adventure. You know, it was was just an enormous amount of fun. Kander and Eb both were were wonderful people. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were you know, uh, very patient with me. And, and, and it was the first taste also that I got of, of, of really, uh, being a disciplined 
all, even though we were having fun and I was goofing around a lot, being a discipl- discipline for performer, because Gower Champion on one of the first days said to me, you know, I know you're only 15, but I'm going to treat you just like I treat the adults, and I expect you to work as hard as they do, and when I need you to be very focused and very disciplined, I want you to do that, okay? And I said, yeah, okay. And pretty much I was, you know? Uh, So I got, at 15, I got my first taste of like, okay, this is really what it means to be a lead in a Broadway musical Mm. and all that that entails and all the responsibility that comes with it. Did you feel any pressure on you, you know, having such a a big role in it? I mean, did you feel like Mm. any weight of that? No, Uh, no. I didn't. Again, it, it... it, it it was different just a few years later when I was an adult, you know, yeah, when I was, crazy? Uh, you know, because, again, being a 15 year old kid and then I turned 16 during during rehearsal. But I, when we started, I was only 15 yeah. and I just didn't it just didn't occur to me. I mean, I didn't think like, oh, this is a big deal. You know, it was it only started to become like a big deal for my family when my mother realized, oh, my God, I'm packing a trunk to move to New York with my son, (laughs) leaving my, you know, leaving her daughter and husband behind in Los Angeles. My younger sister, my mom came with me. Was and that the first time you had come to New York? First time in New York. Never been Aww. to New York. First time in New York. Did you get to see any shows while you were here? I did. I actually spent the... Fr- we, we got there a couple days before uh, rehearsal started in New York, mm-hmm. and I saw MAME with yeah. Angela Lansbury. Oh. Nice. <laughs> I saw the original Cabaret. Uh, so I got to see two shows, and... Um, just kind of, and I and I spent a lot of time just running around New York, yeah. even yeah. though it was January in the dead of winter, and there was snow on the ground. And it was freezing cold, which I wasn't used to being from Los Angeles, of course. But I was ter- very, very excited. Very excited. Did the happy time change a lot from Los Angeles to New York City? Uh, it did. It it um, it actually. Ch- I I think maybe it ch- it changed leading ladies. Uh, I changed leading ladies. I can't. I think it was between New, uh, L.A. and New York. Uh, I uh, boy, I'm so sorry. I can't remember. That's okay. Uh, the first lady's name now, but uh, the leading lady ended up being Julie Gregg, mm-hmm. who uh, who just passed away. Yes, um, and she was a lovely lady. She was Goulet's love interest in the show, um, and there was also a. Um, in the happy time, there was uh, Goulet played a photographer, and Gower had fallen in love with some stuff that he had seen up in Toronto. I think it was Toronto, at Expo '67, <laughs> and there was a guy named Christopher Chadman who had developed the IMAX system. Oh, back in the 1960s, yeah, he first yeah, yeah. developed IMAX. He d- invented it, and Gower became just fell in love with some of the film that he had done for some exhibits up there and so the the back you know the backstage you know the the upstage drop or or psych uh, for the happy time was just a big blank canvas where every time someone on stage took a photograph you saw that photograph on the on on the psych, like projections. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was projections. Like one of the first use of projections. Well, it was, I mean, it, but it was very different today. In right. fact, one of the, the one of the reasons that the, the Happy Time had to go into the Broadway theater is because it was the only theater in New York that had enough space 
from the psych to the the back of the back wall so that the projector, the projection system could sit behind the stage and project onto the psych. Oh, wow. And and what we had also done right before we came to New York is the culmination of all of these visuals ended up in a a three-and-a-half-minute live-action film of the character of BB going through some adolescent stuff, like you know, like like uh, making out with the girl in the cornfield, yeah, and yeah. this all took place in French Canada. So we flew. They flew us. They flew my. They flew me up to Northern California, <laughs> and for like four or five days. We made a movie. We made like a little mini, and oh it was me gosh. driving a tractor, and me <laughs> riding horses, and me being coming out of coming, you know, being in school, and all of this stuff. And uh, so, in New York, in previews, we included this three and a half minute movie right at the end, right near the end of the play, and that lasted about four performances, <laughs> and it was cut after all of that. Oh. Well, because what happened was the movie. And again, imagine this cinemascope film yeah. on uh, on this enormous screen. It was so beautiful what what uh, what uh, Gower Champion had directed. It was so beautiful that it made the the next the last five minutes of the play look drab because mm. yeah. we were back in reality. We yeah. were in the yeah. theater, and they and sadly they realized we can't use it. Wow. You know, it, it it didn't work, but. Those and, and there were also were a, a couple of songs that were replaced. Mm-hmm. Um, Gene Arnold, who played my mother mm-hmm. in the play, had a song that was cut. Sadly, uh, um, there was a different song before the life of the. There was there was before the life of the party that David Wayne ended up doing. There yeah. was a different song there. Oh, interesting. Um, um, I can't remember what it was now, but there was a different song there. And so, you were fine just rolling with the punches, young, excited. Absolutely. Of course. Absolutely. And then it gets you a Tony nomination, is that right? It got me a Tony nomination. And as we were sitting there in the, at the Tony Awards, uh, I actually t- took my sister, my little oh, sister, to the Tony Awards. You're a good brother. My, my, oh. my, the rest of the family flew in for that. And um, my parents, who were sitting further back in the theater, uh-huh. that's when they turned to each other and said... Oh shit! Are we in trouble? <laughs> so much for orthodontistry. So much for the dentist for <laughs> that container right out the because window. Because I was sitting there and I was nominated for a Tony Award. Yeah, I'm like I, at, I, at I 16 looked, years at, old. I should have looked up who you was who you were up against, but I'm sure it wasn't other 16 I was up, year olds. So well, that's for sure. well, there was one kid that was even younger than me, Scott Jacoby, who was in Golden Rainbow. Yeah, with oh, Stephen Eady. Stephen Eady. He yeah, played yeah. the kid in Golden Rainbow. Huh. Uh, a guy, the guy who won was a man named Hiram Sherman. An old yeah. character actor who oh, had yeah. been in yeah. Hello Dolly, That's yeah. right. and he was in a musical called How Now Dow Jones course, that yeah. had already closed, but he won that year. Wow! And um, and there was also a guy, a Greek guy, I can't remember his name, from Ilya Darling. Oh yes, <laughs> musical yes, with, with M- Melina Curie. Yes, of course. Ilya, what a Ilya Darling. <clears throat> so, um, a big year. That was. Um, I think there were only four nominees that wow. year. If and I can did remember. you do the entire run of the Happy Time? I did the entire run. It it ran about 
11 months. It was not a success. Yeah. It, was, it was actually the first musical ever on Broadway to cost a million dollars to produce. Oh. It was very expensive. Wow. And going to those projections? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also that it had a very big cast. There were like... 30 boys at the boy in the boys oh, wow. school. Yeah. I forget that a there lot. There were of time. dancer, you know, there were there were the 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 strippers and the yeah. club, there were the, there was the family. It was a very big cast. Mm. Yeah. And um it ran about 11 months and um you know, uh much to the uh, you know, uh, much to the regret of my understudy, I never <laughs> missed a poor show. I I did every single show for wow. like 11 months. And which was- is not I've not continued that practice <laughs> in the, you know, later in life. But yeah. when the show closes, you go back to Los Angeles. Is that correct to finish? Up I went. Your high yeah, school? I still had. Um, so I still had my senior year of high school. You know, the only to- Tony nominee I'm assuming in your in your high school uh, class. San Marino High School didn't know what to make of me. Actually, right. yeah. to be honest, no, uh, totally. what's it like going back to this environment? You've had this fame. You've had this this big award nomination. Well, bestowed the, upon you. the strange thing is that the the, the I was fine going back to to school. Sure, and sure, sure, sure. But the the but the the weird thing was is also while um, while uh, I was away, I had before see before I had gone while I was away, my parents decided to put me into San Marino High School. Before that, I had gone to Notre Dame High School, a Catholic a high school, school, yeah, a parochial, oh, okay. yeah. So my senior year of high school at San Marino was my only year at San Marino. Uh, so not only tough. was I coming in like a new kid at school, I was yeah. like this guy who was an actor who'd been on Broadway. Yeah. And um, so, so the, for some reason, the, all, a lot of the people at the school thought I was going to be stuck up and thought I was special. Mm-hmm. And they even made the point of that. Like my counselor said, you know, we're not going to treat you special just because you were on Broadway. Whoa, whoa, like, whoa, whoa. Where is this coming from? They were jerks. They should have been I, in that audition room when you handed your I music had, to the other kid. Quite honestly, I had, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, 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 was, I was a nice kid. But yeah. I also had kind of learned in New York how to take care of myself. Yeah. And I, I would push back. Yeah. I mean, I got, like, a, in a lot of trouble my senior year. Mm. And uh, especially from the drama teacher. The drama oh, teacher, can't say I'm who surprised. had yeah. kind of, who was a guy who was uh, kind of a, a never was kind of yeah. guy. Yeah, he had he had like roomed with Dustin Hoffman at you know when oh. when Dustin Hoffman <laughs> went to Pasadena Playhouse oh, to, totally. to you know and Gene Hackman and yeah. these kind of people and he was teaching high school drama. Sure, yeah, sure. And so this guy really resented me. Yeah, yeah. And and really you know, didn't treat me very well at all. And, um, and I, you know, and basically I just said, well, screw you. I don't give a shit. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I was 16 years old, 17 going on 17, you know, I one year you're out of there after that. I mean, yeah, yeah. I thought, and my parents kept saying, you know, why are we, why are you making a, his name was Paul Klopper. I'll never forget this guy. That's a name. Why are you making a, a you know an enemy out of him? I said I'm not making an enemy. He's yeah. like treating me like a jerk. Yeah, yeah. you know he's intimidated, and uh, you know he's he was just intimidated by yeah, the totally. fact that at 16 I had had some success. Yeah, had I guess it. I don't know. Yeah, go figure. Were you, were you bullied by the other kids? Uh, no, not at all. No, that's good. no. And and I actually made a couple of very good friends there that yeah. year. Uh, a uh, couple of couple of guys on the swim team, you know, who yeah. just became like my my buddies, and yeah. and 
and we uh, no, I wasn't bullied at all. That's you know, good. they were just like uh, you know, it's just like some of the kids just didn't know how to approach me totally. or didn't know you know, and I. And I, you know, like I say, I basically just didn't care. Yeah. To be honest, I was kind of like saying, well, can I, because the truth is, I had been tutored my entire junior year while I was doing the happy time, and I actually had enough credits to graduate. I didn't even need to be there. Oh, wow. And my parents kind of insisted. They say, well, we really want you to, we, we'd like you to finish up your high school, mm-hmm. do your senior year, and graduate. And, and I said, okay. Yeah. But anyway. No, <laughs> Did you go to college afterwards? I didn't, no. Back to no, I, I just, um, and again, my, you know, much to my parents' chagrin, they kind of wanted me to, uh, and I thought about it, uh, but you know what, I even while I was in my senior year, I was still away some of the time doing uh, movies, you know, I did some a couple of Disney pictures, yeah. and so I was away for a couple of weeks, mm. doing smaller parts in those, I kept getting offers to do, to, to work, so I thought, so I said to my parents, I know you want me to go to college, but you know what? This is what I'm going to do with my life. And I'm working. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually glad that I didn't stop and take time to go to school. Yeah. The only regret I had many years later was I regretted not having been put in that social situation of school. Uh, totally, sure. With a lot of other young people who were starting their lives as adults yeah. And, yeah. and just having that experience, um, which I came to get to know a little bit once many years later, I started working with students and they would talk to me about what their lives were like. And, and I started spending some time in academia. Yeah. Um, uh, but that's the only thing I regret. Yeah. I, I didn't regret uh, at all, not, not getting a college degree. Did you think you were going to be in a specifically film and television career track? Mm. Uh, not really. I, 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 uh, though I, I kind of just approached it all like uh, I'm just, I'm working. So I'm just going to keep working. Yeah, wherever, you know, the, work wherever the work is. Yeah. But I always had in the back of my head that I wanted to get back to Broadway. Mm. But I didn't want to go to Broadway without a job. That was the deal. I didn't want to go wait tables. Just go to New York and, like, and wait and, for it yeah. to happen. Wasn't going to do it, mm-hmm. you know. Because, also because I was working in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. I was doing plays at the Mark Taper Forum. Oh, amazing. Uh, also being taught and being cast by a wonderful man who just passed away, Gordon Hunt. Yes. Oh. Just saw who was passed. the casting director at the Mark Taper Forum. Helen Hunt's dad. Yeah. He also was an incredible acting teacher who I and studied a, yeah. with. Um, and, um, and it was... And uh, Gordon cast me in several plays at the Mark Taper Forum. Uh, I was doing, like I say, lots of TV. Mm-hmm. Marcus Welby, MD, <laughs> Did all the, the Partridge big, Family, those, those yeah. 70s all those yeah. Yeah. early seventies, uh, you know, hour dramas and sitcoms. Wow. You know, how did Pippin come into your orbit? Gordon Hunt. It was Gordon Hunt. Uh, Gordon Hunt. Uh, I knew of Pippin because I'd heard the cast album. Mm-hmm. Um, Gordon Hunt, one night after our class, after acting class, took me aside and said, um, would you be interested in going back to New York to take over for John Rubenstein as Pippin in the musical Pippin? And I said, absolutely. And he said, okay, well, um, could you uh, come down to the annex at the Mark Taper? He was still casting at the Mark Taper Forum, but also he was also a... He was the kind of casting director that helped New York producers look at people in Los Angeles. Say, he was also he, a casting director. That's quite for some them. power he had. He could be like, "You want to yeah. go do this?" Sure, totally. <laughs> so anyway, Gordon <clears throat> Gordon um, said, um, 
prepare some stuff and and come down to the ta- to the taper and uh, we'd I'd like you're you're going to audition for Stuart Ostro, the producer of oh, yeah. Pippin, because uh, they're looking for a Pippin. Said great, so I did, and um, and um, Stuart said. Uh, <clears throat> Can you, uh, what's your schedule like? Can you come back to New York with me tomorrow to audition for Bob Fosse? Oh. Because Stuart liked me immediately. Thought I was just the guy. Yeah. Wow. And I said, absolutely. So I kind of dropped everything, <laughs> packed a bag, and I flew back to New York uh, <clears throat> with Stuart the next day. And they put me up in a hotel. And the following day, I stood on the stage of the Imperial Theater and auditioned for Fosse. And um, on the stage of that, th- well, I love wow. the, when but you very different this, too. Oh. Uh, it was on the it, yeah, yeah. It was pit, playing at the at the Imperial, yeah. and it was on stage, kind of like back in the day. Yeah, you know, no, it was like I, back when they used stories, to. You know, yes, people used to watch it. Not like a, not like at Pearl Studios no, not like no. this. or here. Yeah. You know, no. the Chetler. No, truly. You know, it was on the stage of the Imperial Theater. Yeah, and um, and it wasn't like. Um, you know, uh, there Bob was a disembodied voice in the darkness. He was right at the lip of the stage. I was just standing right there, as close as you are to me. Wow. And uh, he was just leaning on the lip of the stage, and I sang for him, and I read for him. Um, he had me take off my shirt because Pippin doesn't wear a shirt through a lot of the show. Yeah. You know, sure, to, yeah. It's not I a commercial. Make sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it is. Um, and uh, I auditioned, and Bob said thank you, and the stage manager uh, just said, you know, uh, we'll give you a call. Go back to the hotel and enjoy the rest of the day in New York, and we'll give you a call later. And they did. They called me at the hotel and said, we'd like you to play Pippin. Um, wow. So wow. that's kind of how Pippin happened. And then I actually, they gave me the script, and I went back to Los Angeles. It wasn't even starting rehearsal for like another four months. Oh, wow. So I met, went back to Los Angeles, continued my life there, Great. while I kind of got to know the score and the script, and um, and then I came to New York. You must have been like, what, 22, 21, 22? I was you know? 21, maybe, yeah. I now, think. I think it was 21. Yeah. Was New York in this experience different than a few years earlier? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Time? Because by then I was, you know, even though I was still very young, I yeah. was more of an adult. Yeah. yeah, I was there by myself. I wasn't with my mom, totally. certainly. And, um, and I also was kind of crazy in a lot of ways. I mean, it, I, it, when I mean crazy, I mean like within several months' time back in New York, I started to miss L.A. a lot. I got very lonely I actually had a hard time making friends when I was when I came back. Also, the show didn't help because even John Rubenstein said to me when I came came there, he said, "You're going to like this for about a month, and then you're not going to be happy." Oh wow! I said, "Why? Yeah, Why is yeah. that?" And I found out later is especially the way Bob directed it, as opposed to the way Diane directed it in the recent revival. Right. Um, Pippin is a two two hour and twenty minute show about a group of players putting a young man through through different experiences in life so and and manipulating the experiences in a way that he'll always be disappointed mm-hmm. so by the end the only thing that will give him true happiness is to kill himself yeah I mean, because you know bob's you know bob's and and the the original the the production the what what ended up being on Broadway is incredibly different from what Stephen Schwartz 
had written. Oh, yes. Oh, very, very different stories. from yeah. the original script. Bob complained, and of course, in all that jazz, the movie you see all yeah. of that. That's really about Pip. A lot yeah, of that about wow. Pippin, yeah. about kicking the writers out of the room. You know, Stephen Schwartz could, yeah. wasn't allowed in the room. Bob was completely changing it because he was fascinated by Charles Manson and the Manson family, and the leading player to him was Charles Manson, and this group of players was the family. Wow. Oh wow! Who were killing people? They would go from town to town right. and find a young man to play Pippin and get him to kill himself. So in the original production, which was incredibly dark, for two hours and 20 minutes, there's all this negative energy coming at the actor playing Pippin. And it actually got me depressed. Yeah. You know, it really did. I mean, it was bizarre, but it did. Because your brain knows you're going through it, but your body's still going through it. Well, because you're you're 21, 22 years old, you know, you're still in some ways a kid. Right. You know? And um, how did you how did you cope with this depression? Well, I, you know, ended up <laughs> I ended up crying on John Kander's couch one night, oh, literally, so you know, oh saying like, I don't know what to do, John. I'm like, I, I'm so depressed. And I'm, I'm like, I can't I would get on. I lived uptown at the time. Uh, on the Upper West Side, and I would get on the 104 bus after the show, and I would start to break into tears on the yeah, bus. Yeah. That's how crazy I was, you know. And John sent me to his therapist, this little old Welsh guy who was, like, really great. And um, I actually went to uh, this therapist. Uh, I w- went to see him, and um, he saw that I was, really, uh, I was really in trouble. And I started seeing this guy, like, three times a week oh, wow. initially, you know. Oh, wow. So I went to therapy for a long time, and then, interesting Interesting little thing happened. I, um, I, uh, you know, uh, this this therapist kept trying to say, "Well, you, is there any way to assimilate yourself with, into the cast better?" Or mm-hmm. you know, you because I I was you know I had my my dressing room right next right. to the stage. Sure, everybody yeah. else was somewhere else. You know, Broadway old yeah, and Broadway you're houses. Lead and you're so like, you're and you're there's people up on the fifth oh, floor. Yeah, yeah. There's you're people not, in the basement. You don't have time to hang out and all the time, and like <laughs> one of the stage ma- I and I, I expressed this to one of the stage managers about how lonely I was in that star dressing room, mm-hmm. and um, and he said, "Well, why do you have to be in the star dressing room?" So, what are you talking about? He said, "Why don't you move to the basement and 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 just and hang out with the guys." Perfect. Brilliant. Because there was the, the in the basement there was the women's dressing room and there I, were the men's I dressing room. I played that yeah. theater and I, I, yeah. yes, there's that there is a there yeah, is yeah, a dressing yeah. room. Yeah, exactly, there. Yeah. exactly. So I ended up taking all my stuff and I moved into the boys' chorus room. <laughs> I love it. And everything changed. It was like it was like, oh, you know, they embraced me better. I, I was felt like I was part suddenly part of this this group, this community that we're that you have doing a family now. I had a family. And it helped me enormously because I actually was on the verge of quitting. I actually had called Stuart Ostro saying, I know I had signed a two year contract. That was oh, a, wow. I had signed a two year contract. And um, and I, you know, and Stuart was uh, God love him, was such a gentleman about it. You know, he said because I said, I think I think I need to go home. I think I can't, can't do this because so I'm, I'm, I'm very unhappy, Stuart. And and he said, I understand. And just. Can you just stay in the show long enough for me to find a replacement for you? Oh, wow. You know, and um, and then uh, and then I'll let you out of your contract. You know, I I don't want you to be here if you're unhappy. 
And uh, I said, thank you. And then just a few weeks later, I, things started to yeah. turn around and I end up, you know, staying. Wow. Yeah. Huh. How long were you with Pippin for? I was with Pippin for two years. So I did it for two years. Time, yeah. And then uh, I left it. Um, it continued on Broadway for, I think, like another year or so after I had left it. And then I, I went back to do the national tour. Stuart actually called me and said, are you okay to come back to do Pippin again? And I actually spent another year on the road doing the tour. Were the audiences across the country different than the audiences in New York City? I don't remember them being different. No, mm. they were they they pretty much embraced the show. Great, you know. I All mean, right. it was. It, I remember it being uh, pretty much a fun fun yeah. year on the road. You was know. that your first time on the road touring? First time on the yeah. road. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. And I remember having a having a pretty good time. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And then once that tour concludes, back to Los Angeles, or now New York is going to be the no, home? No, I was now New York. New York is my home. Mm-hmm. You're New you York know? at this I point. I actually still had it. I had had an, apart, I had an apartment in Studio City. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Which I kept. I actually shared it with a buddy of mine, Tom Davila, who was a production accountant in film You know, for, for at Warner Brothers. So I, I kept in my bedroom there. I kept my, my part of that... Uh, that for some years, because I kept coming back, I would go back to to Los Angeles to do a guest shot on a show or something. Sure, sure. And, and sometimes just my family was still there, so sometimes I'd just go out for a few weeks just to hang out with my family mm-hmm. and see some of my old friends there. But, uh, but New York had then become my home base. Can you tell us a little about Shakespeare Cabaret? <laughs> um Two words I never thought would be together in a really so Shakespeare and Cabaret, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Well, it was a very uh, strange little show. Um, uh, not a happy experience. Oh, not a happy uh, experience. No, no. Okay. Ultimately, uh, some wonderful people in it. Catherine Cox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, one of them. Uh, some, some really wonder, wonderful little ensemble. And it was an interesting show. You know, a lot of the material was quite interesting. But... Uh, the the director uh, was having some I th- I think at the time was having some personal problems of his own, and um, was not I I think the kind of guide that we needed for that thing, mm. um, and ultimately um, ultimately I I it um, it was not a happy experience. It also ended up being an experience uh, where uh, you know the producer started bouncing checks. Oh wow! Ooh. Happens, you know what I mean? Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think he's no longer with us, uh, but um, it it suddenly it suddenly then became like a bad experience oh, because yeah. equity had to get involved right. and uh, what was the he had to pay us some cash? Show? You know? Oh my god! Yeah, it became to the point. It came to the point where he had to pay oh. some cash. You know, it was it was one of those things. Ooh. Mm-hmm. What, now, what was the conceit? What was the story of Shakespeare? Cabaret? It was just like a review. You know, it was just like a, a review where it was all of Shakespeare's uh, poems and a lot of his sonnets uh, um, put to music. Yeah. Contemporary music, country western music. <laughs> it was very eclectic. But with the verse. I mean, like, but, but with, with the, the verse. verse in yeah. there. Okay. <laughs> and um, uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the gentleman's name who wrote it. Uh, but he had ra- actually wrote some really great music. A lot of it was How really, interesting. A lot of it was really, really, really terrific. Yeah. Um, and but ultimately, it just the the whole show just didn't work, and okay. it didn't run very long at all. So this was 1981, though. 
I believe. 1981. Right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then 1981 is also the first March of the Falsettos. It so is. So now this is going to be coming into your orbit as well. Yeah. How does the William Finn connection come about for you? Uh, well, it, only, it, it came, through, uh, came through Jim Lapine. Um, oh. I just, you know, I just was asked to, to audition for this thing called, at the time it was called Four Jews in a Room Bitching. That was the first title, that was Four the, Jews yeah. in a Room Bitching. Well, the first title was The, the Pettiness of Misogyny. Huh. Was the fir- very okay. first title, okay. and then they threw that out, and now it was called Four Jews in a Room Bitching, and um, I thought, like, well, what the hell is this? Right. This sounds weird. Um, and I went, uh, I went to Playwrights Horizon, who was going to produce it, and I auditioned for Jim Lapine, who was directing his first play. He had never directed say, anything before. Yeah. Your age, I mean, he was. I mean, he, he was just a. Yeah. yeah, he was probably just a couple years older than me. Yeah, you know, he's just a little older than I am. Yeah, and. Um, he and I uh, and I I sang for him, and and it was I didn't really read anything because it it was going to be through composed, yeah. you know, it was right. going to be sung through. And uh, Jim said, "Great, I want you to audition for Bill Finn uh, tomorrow. Uh, no, in a couple of days. But first, I want you to bring in all of the music that you have, your whole book, you know, of music. What were your and, go-to songs yeah, at what the time? Were the just, to, songs? just to cut in, I'm just curious if you remember, boy." I don't know if I, I really don't remember, oh, to be honest with you. That's cool. But I remember the song that I sang. Oh, yeah? Because it was the one thing that Jim picked out. He said, I want you to bring in all of the music that you, all the songs you know, and you and I are going to go through it, and I want to pick out what you're going to sing, because Bill Finn hates certain composers. <laughs> <laughs> Just go through, weed it out. Yep. And we found a Randy Newman song called Sail Away, which was... Um, and this was and 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 Jim said this is it. He loves Randy Newman. You're going to sing this for him. <laughs> Amazing. So it wow. was. Uh, so the following day, I uh, in a little room in that little tiny. This is old playwrights, not old the new building. Yeah. You know, there was a little tiny theater upstairs. I don't even it probably sat about a hundred people, maybe not even that, maybe fifty. And I, a uh, little black box, and I auditioned for Bill. I sang the song, and, uh, and that was it. And, uh, like, the next day they called me and said I got the job. And, oh, oh, I'm sorry. No, before the, after auditioning for Lapine, he gave me the original cast album, uh, album of In Trousers. Oh, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. With Chip Zine as Marvin. And I took it home, and I listened to it, and I thought, like, what is this? <laughs> it was just uh, it was just bizarre. Yeah. I just thought like and to be honest with you, you know, at the time I thought like is this any good? Right. I mean, I didn't know. It, it was, was so like weird. It was like it is. was so different. Yeah. I had, oh, I had never heard uh I had never heard a composer like this. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard any music like this. And um so I thought like, well, okay, you know, and I kind of went into March of the Falsettos thinking like, well, you know, this is probably going to be like, you know, a few weeks gig. And, you know, I just didn't know. Right. You know, and and even during rehearsal, once we got into rehearsal, you know, uh, I remember very clearly even Chip, especially I think Chip and I going to Lapine's saying to him, are we going to be OK? Is this does this any of this make sense? Because at the time it was like, you know, Jim just had like a, you know, like a a poster board with three by five cards on it with the names of songs and he was switching them around and, oh, wow. and there would be a blank card there and he'd say to Bill, write a song about this for that. 
And so Jim was really, as a playwright, was really guiding Bill. But Chip and I just, especially Chip and I, just kept thinking like, yike. I mean, mm-hmm. we just didn't know if any of it was any good. And, and I mean, you're playing a protagonist who not only slaps his wife, but at some point possibly gives her an STD. Did you have any? Yeah. I mean, this is a different leading character yeah. than we've yeah. seen in most musicals. It also, interesting enough, was the first, it was really the first adult that I had played. Oh, I had really just played yes. kids, yes. even yeah, through yeah. my 20s. Because by the by the time I played Marvin in eighty one, I was thirty. That was my thirtieth wow. year. Yeah. So I would I was still playing Pippin yeah. at a on tour like at age twenty seven or yeah. something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so a lot of the roles that I was playing were because I looked very young. We're still very young people. Mm-hmm. This is not only kind of a a odd character in some ways, but it was the first adult that I played mm-hmm. with a kid right. and a wife. And a lover, and a you know, who else um, was in that original cast with you? Allison Frazier uh-huh. played Trina. Um, uh, Stephen Bogardus played Wizard, and Chip played Mendel. Yes. Um, a young kid named Je- Jeffrey Kushner, I think was his name. Oh man, Jeff! I think I yeah. remember slightly Kushner. Yeah, but he was uh, Jason. Uh, Complete nerd of a kid <laughs> who r- truly was like really not an actor. Yeah. He was like a mathematician. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and this was the kind of kid that Lapine has always cast yep. in the yeah. falsettos. He always tried to find kids who were not kid actors, L- not like, like oh, that who, who could be in Matilda or he, totally Annie exactly. or Oliver. Yeah. He, yeah. Oliver. He yeah. was like, he really, you know. Um, so, so you and Chip have some hesitance about. What mm-hmm. the clarity yeah. of this is going to be, and yeah. Mr. Lapine assured you everything. Jim is kept saying, "Okay, kept saying, just you know, stick with it. I think there's something here. That's what he kept saying. I think there's something here, and you know, Jim was great. I mean, we kept trusting him. And uh, when did you, know, you realize there was something there? The very first performance, our very first performance in front of an audience in that little theater upstairs at Playwrights Horizon, all fifty or seventy-five people or whatever went." Crazy for it. Oh, wow. I mean, crazy. They wouldn't stop applauding. Wow. And Chip and I looked at each other. I remember <laughs> this so clearly. We looked at each other backstage going like, oh, my God. It's like we, yeah. we just couldn't believe it. Yeah. Because, it, and, and, and then as, you know, uh, as fr- I think Frank Rich, mm-hmm. it was actually, I think, one of Frank's first reviews for the New York Times back, in the, back when he first started. Yeah. Mentioning something about it being as soon as the show starts, you you feel this fresh rush of, of 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 you know like this new writer yeah. that we've discovered, and there's nothing like you know, and and there had never been anything like it. Bill Finn's vocabulary as a writer, the way Jim staged it, what the show was about, it just there it was it was a completely unique thing that had never been seen before in musical theater and um it immediately became a huge success i mean you couldn't get a ticket for it mm. how long were you with it for um well we, we did we did it at playwrights horizon for for a few months and then it moved over to the to the west side theater yeah and played there for uh i think altogether maybe a year okay. maybe it was just a year yeah and then we did it we actually took it out to los angeles and and uh, 
in connection with the Center Theater Group, we we played the James A. Doolittle Theater out there oh. on Vine Street. Yeah, we did it out there, and then that was it. Yeah. So and it was just it was always in that one act. It was format. just like this eighty minute one act show. That was it. You That's know, great. And now, how do you transition from being an actor to being a composer? Yes. Because then we're going to have three guys naked from <laughs> yeah, the waist right. down, which is uh, wonderful. If yeah. <clears throat> very quickly, I'm so sorry if our listeners have not bought a copy or listened to this yet. Please do so, because it is a wonderful, wonderful musical. It will oh, be our thanks. favorite thing at some point oh, next I'm year. Sure, I'm sure it is. <laughs> oh, for thanks, sure. Thanks. Just wait. Yeah. Well, you know what? It, the idea for Three Guys actually happened even before March of the Falsettos. Oh, okay. Uh, because in 1980... I actually was doing a pre-Broadway show, uh, a musical called Swing. Not the swing that ended up on Broadway, because there yeah. was a show called yes. Swing on Broadway. But it was a musical yeah. by Robert Waldman and Alfred Urey oh. about the big band era. And it was produced and directed by Stu Ostro, oh, wow. who had produced Pippin oh, in 1776. Yeah. And in 1980, we did this... Me- it was an enormous show about the big band era. And um, and though Bob and, uh, you know, Alfred had written, they wrote the score. Uh, uh, the book was by a, a man named Con Fleming. Uh, and the show was uh, very problematic. The score was terrific, terrific. The cast was, you know, Bob Lapone and Debbie Gravit. Oh, you know, my gosh. Debbie Shapiro Gravit. And uh-huh. I mean, there was a lot of great people in it. Um, John Goodman, you know. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of incredible people in it, but it just wasn't working. And we first did the show at the DuPont Theater in, in Wilmington, Delaware. Oh, okay. Uh, wow. Stu brought people, brought, brought, brought people like Fosse in to look at it. And quite honestly, pers- pretty much from what I heard, everybody just said, close it. No. You know, they felt it, w- it wasn't working, going to work. Yeah. Then we went to the Kennedy Center, and it still wasn't working, you know. Uh, and it ultimately closed at the Kennedy Center. Wow. Never made it to Broadway. But backstage at the Kennedy Center, Jerry Colker, who was in the play, who had played my brother, Lewis in Pippin, huh. um, and I um, sat around backstage joking, in a way, that, you know what? We could write something as good as this. <laughs> Classic. Literally. <laughs> you know? Because I had kind of already started writing some music. So and Jerry was a writer. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but just and, for fun. Yeah. And, um, and we started doing, with, an, with a, uh, uh, another guy named Paul Shearhorn, who was an actor who yes. has now passed away, too, sadly. Um, he, uh, the three of us started coming up with like comedy shit backstage to do. I don't know why. It wasn't because of the show. We weren't thinking that. We were just starting to goof around and do like, let's do some comedy shit. I don't know. And uh, suddenly we got this idea to do a musical about three stand-up comics. And so the idea actually came in 1980. Oh, wow. It was before we did March of the Falsettos. And Jerry and I actually started writing... Paul Sherwin was no longer part of it. Jerry Colker and I started writing Three Guys while I was doing March of the Falsettos in 1981. Oh, interesting. Now, you yourself, you've never been a stand-up comedian, right? Is that right? So this was... It was just research. Just research. We started going to comedy clubs all over New York, 
talking, you know, watching the acts, ca- talking to these guys, you know, and we started to realize how crazy most of these people were, you know, and because that's kind of what the show is about, about, you know, yeah. three guys, one of whom, you know, pretty much maintains his sanity throughout. The right. other two were kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And they came come together to be a comedy team, very successful in the 1980s. And then because of craziness and whatever and success, they split apart mm-hmm. and 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 end up in different places. Um, and we started, you know, we just started writing Three Guys Naked from the Waist Down. That was not the title of it at the time. Yeah. What was its original uh, title? It was, you know, I don't remember. It was like Three Weird Names. Three Weird Names, that was. For the three guys. Yeah. Sure. You know, I can't remember now. It was only when Andy Kadiff, who ended up directing Three Guys Naked, came on board, when we were work- first workshopping the show here in New York, um, he came to us one day and, you know, and said, you know, I just had a dream. I think I came up with our title. And he said, it's three guys naked from the waist down. So it was Andy Kadoff, the director, who came wow. up with the title. Thank you, Andy Kadoff. Yeah, Thanks, absolutely. Mama Rose. Yeah. I mean, I That's, had yes, a dream. I had a dream in there. It yes, yeah, exactly. Now, you, you step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You were in the show as well, correct? I wasn't. No, no. It, Jerry Kolker was, my Jerry, partner. Jerry was in it. And that really happened by accident because we had another actor cast in the role and literally the day before we were leaving for play, Playmakers Rep in North Carolina to do the pre-off-Broadway engagement, um, this guy went crazy. Oh. Literally went nuts. Oh. Like no. came into rehearsal and, and just suddenly became like a crazy person. Ooh. Didn't know where it was coming from, but Andy and Jerry and I immediately thought like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Yeah. Because literally, we were leaving the next day to start teching. And this guy we had been it. in rehearsal in New York. Oh we were going to start teching the show. And, and so we, we sat and talked and, and, and said, well, Andy, you're going to have to fire him. We've got to get rid of him. He can't be in this play. And... The only thing really we can do is, Jerry, you wrote it, and that character in the play is kind of written about, it's kind of based on Jerry. Oh, okay. In a lot of ways. So it makes sense. You know, it was kind of the Jerry character. Right, you know? right. So we said, well, why don't, you know, can you, can you step in, you know, and, and open it in North Carolina, and then we'll recast it for New York. Um, and that's what happened. And we actually ended up, Jerry actually ended up doing a great job in the show, and he stayed in the show yeah, in New he York. He didn't recast it. Yeah. And Scott Bakula was in this Scott as Bakula, well, right? John Kassir. Yeah. Uh, young actor who's 
in L, uh, not young anymore, but you know, <laughs> sorry, um, yeah, um, none of us are young anymore. <laughs> uh, but um, so that's how that kind of all came about. Is uh, Jerry was in it? I actually stepped into it for yeah. John Kassir because G- John Kassir at the time was like going on to win Star Search. Remember Star Search? Oh, yeah. yeah, that competition. Could, yeah, you know, yeah, the precursor to every other yeah. oh, that's God, right. yeah. talent show. Yep. Um, John ended up winning the comedy. <laughs> award oh in Star Trek. But he had to go out to L.A. for like a week or something. And they actually, and because we ha- only had one understudy for all three guys, they were scared to put him on, you know, because the, uh, then suddenly nobody else was covered. Yeah, Jerry yeah, yeah. and Scott weren't covered. So they asked me if I would step in. And I actually did it for like a week here in New York. Oh, I love amazing. that the understudy didn't go on to understudy for the role that no, he, <laughs> I, know. Like, I know. Yeah. Oh, hey, it was yeah. all what good. theater were you playing? Yeah, the Manetta Lane Theater. Oh, the Manetta Lane yeah. Theater. I yeah. hope it comes back at some point. And that it's... too, we were the second show ever to be in the Manetta Lane oh, Theater. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. It was a great cast recording of that too. Yeah. And then a couple yeah. of years later, congratulations, you won the Tony Award yes, for Sweet yes, Charity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, how does Sweet Charity come about? Well, it was just uh, Bob. You know, it was Fosse because uh, I had done Pippin with Bob, and he really liked me. I mean, we actually even hung out together when I was in Pippin. Uh, you know, he's he. It, it was what almost was like. Uh, it was almost like he saw a lot of him in me when he was my age. Interesting. Uh, he gave me a mug. I remember during rehearsal saying, Rupert, and on the other side, just a cheap entertainer, you know, <laughs> because he kept saying that, you know, you're like me. You're like, you're like a really, you'll do anything for a laugh, right? You're just a cheap entertainer. He used to call me that, the cheap entertainer. But he just, um, he just, they, they got in touch with me because they were going to do Sweet Charity. And, um, Bob already thought I would be right for it, but I needed to audition for Cy Coleman, okay. uh, which I did. I came in and sang Moon River, of all things. Huh. Um, huh. And, um, and Bob cast me as Oscar in, in Sweet Charity. What's rehearsal oh, like yeah, with, uh, with Bob Fosse? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's good. I mean, you know, it's... It's very focused. Yeah. It was very focused, very intense. More intense for the dancers, because mm-hmm. Bob, that was Bob's world. Yeah. He was gentler. He was always, I remember even in Pippin, he was, he was gentler with the actors and not quite uh, as much of a taskmaster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With the dancers, he was very tough. You know, mm-hmm. if they weren't doing exactly what he wanted, he would, you know, pounce on them. Oh, wow. Uh, not in a, not yeah, a yeah, terrible, yeah, sure, terrible sure, way, because sure, sure. he always respected them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it was, I, re, I just remember it being, you know, I enjoyed the rehearsal. It was fun. Mm-hmm. I was nervous because there's a scene where Oscar's introduced at the end of the first act in the elevator where he has claustrophobia yeah, right. and, and goes Famously, crazy. Yes. And, it's, and the way that Neil Simon had written that scene, it was actually very broad comedy. And I said to Bob when he cast me, I said, you know, Bob, I have never done anything like this. I've never done that kind of broad comedy, really. And even though I'm a cheap entertainer, I've not <laughs> done that particular kind of comedy. Right. And Bob said, um, he said, don't worry, I'll j- I'm just going to take you through it. I'm just going to, sh- you know, guide you along the way. And uh, he did. And um, when we opened in Los Angeles at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion to a sold out house of like I don't know how many of that seats but like 3000 yeah, people it's an house. enormous theater when i got into that elevator scene and started hearing the waves of laughter coming back at me i thought like 
oh my God, this really works, and Fosse's a genius. Wow. Because he really showed me exactly what to do. I mean, it was all choreographed it, within an ask, inch of its okay, life, okay. you know. And um, huh. so rehearsal was 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 quite quite good. What kind of director do you enjoy working with? For for you specifically as an actor, what do you enjoy in a director? Uh, I I well, I just you know uh, certainly certainly directors who know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, as we all have. I mean, there, I've worked with a few directors in my life who. It's not that I don't respect them. It's just that I don't feel like I feel like they're in over their head or something. Yeah. Mm. Or, the trust mm. has to be there. Uh, the trust, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. I mean, the trust has to be there. Yeah. And so I just like to, to work with directors uh, who just uh, you know who you know can express a clear vision of, of what this is going to be. Um, who always, uh, you know, who. Always will have the answers if I don't. <laughs> I mean, even again, going back to Fosse, yeah. there would be times when I would ask him things, and I remember this very clearly. It was more a psychological game than anything for him. For him, but he would say, "You know what? I don't. I can't answer that. But let me go away and think about it, and I'll come back, and I'll I'll help, I'll give you an answer." Which, of course, in my mind, <coughs> excuse me, and a lot of actors' minds make them immediately think like, well, I'm going to figure this out, too. Yes. I'm yes. not just going to let, I have to help Bob figure it, you know. <laughs> right. And so nine times out of ten, I would have figured it out. Or, but even if I hadn't, he would come back with a very clear answer. Wow. Yeah. Um, um, you know, but I, I've worked with a lot of different kinds of directors. Michael Blakemore, mm. uh, you know, just Graziella Danielle. Uh, I, I don't work well on, with directors, and I've, I've really been very blessed in my life not to have to work with them very often. But I don't work well with directors who, even though they're working very hard and are very focused, don't want to have fun. Mm. You know? Yeah, totally. I mean, Jerry Mitchell is a perfect example of that. He works very hard, but... Every day you're in rehearsal with Jerry Mitchell, it's like a party. You <laughs> That's know? great. And I love that. Yeah. You know? When I you direct, that. do you bring that approach? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's love exactly that. what I do. And, and I make that very clear. And I, you know, I, I've directed certainly a few pro professional productions. But you know, my, I, what I, as I, we said before we started this podcast, mm -hmm. you know, briefly, I love working with students. Mm -hmm. And I love going to universities and and. And working with uh, directing them there, yeah. and but I always, you know, one of the f first things on my first day speech I say is we're all going to work very hard, and be very focused, but we're all going to have a great time. This is going to be fun. I want you to have a good time doing this, because every time I've worked, you know, whenever I've worked that way with other, with a d other directors, you know, great things happen. Yeah, they really do. Yeah. Creating that nice, I agree, fun environment. Yeah, like yeah. You, you've got to have a positive place if you're going to take big risks and Absolutely. go there. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So you win the Tony Award, mm -hmm. and then another one of my favorite shows. Oh, are we going to ask a question beforehand no, before we go into this? We've been on the this? same page this entire time. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> it's great. Like I'm, That's <laughs> we're going to talk about mail. Mail, yes. absolutely. Mail. mail so yes. tell us about mail, which gets started in Pasadena. Is that started correct? in Pasadena? Mail was a show that Jerry Colker and I wrote, and Andy Kadif directed. Mm -hmm. uh, the t same team that did Three Guys Naked. We actually started writing Mail. We got the idea for Mail and started writing it before Three Guys Naked opened. Oh wow! Oh my gosh! Well, because we had some time after it was optioned. Uh, we had some time before it was going to go into production. And um, 
And so Jerry and I thought, well, you know, why don't we just think, of, let's, what else are we going to write? And, and it was actually Jerry Kolker who came up with this idea. Uh, and we started writing mail, M-A-I-L, um, about a young guy who, uh, who is approaching 30 years old and is um, um, uh, basically has a nervous breakdown in the first few minutes of the play. And he disappears. He leaves his he leaves his girlfriend and his mo- father, family, and all his friends, and his literary agent. He's a writer, his literary agent, uh, and he disappears for six months. And, um, and really, the play is about just a few minutes later. He is returning to his apartment after being away for six months, and again in the in in a time before email. His super has left two stacks of mail that has that have accumulated over six months' time, and in the wee hours of the morning, he starts to go through this mail, and the mail all comes to life, Love it. appearing through sets yes. out of you know, and this is all the letters, people letters he's interacting with letters that were written six months ago, like right. where are you? What have you done? What about your career? You know, and he's trying, but he's responding to them in real time until by the very end of the play, it's now early morning. The light is coming through the yep. window, and his girlfriend appears at the door, and it's now you know, and and it was, and we opened at the Pasadena Playhouse in Los Angeles, and it was a huge success. Out yeah, there. huge. I mean, we kept extending, extending, sold out every performance, got great reviews. And then we came east. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it was one of those classic stories of, uh, you know, Roger Stevens uh, at the, from the Kennedy Center saw it and said, I wanted to bring it to the, to the Eisenhower at the Kennedy Center. And then other people got on board as producers, and they wanted to bring it to New York. And so we came east, and, um, and uh, the reception in Washington, D.C. was muted. Mm. <laughs> the critics, the audiences, and and I thought, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Yeah. And my agent at the time came down and said, uh, who also had M. Butterfly opening that se- same season on Broadway, was and was always very honest with me. And he said, um, I think, I don't think you're going to make it. I think M. Butterfly will. I, th- those are my two plays, yours and M. Butterfly. Yeah. And I said, I'm just going to be honest. I think... I think we're going to have a hit with M Butterfly, and I think mail is just not going to work wow. in okay. New York. And and I said, I, I got it, I get it, I get it, I cool, I get it, you know. And then we moved to the Music Box Theater. We still moved, yeah. Oh, we came to New York, one, yeah. And uh, we opened and got terrible reviews. Terrible. Oh. The critics hated the show. Were you, you know? in it as well? I was in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. which was a big mistake. Oh yeah. You know, I got talked into being in it by Andy Cadiff, uh, the director. Yeah. Basically, him saying, "You know, I, if if you hadn't written this, I would have, I would cast you in this. I mean, you're perfect for the role." Oh, okay. I hadn't really written it for myself. Yeah, you know, right. It, but he said, "I think you should do it. I think let's take a shot at this. Mm-hmm. Take a chance." Mm-hmm. Um, and I agreed re- reluctantly, even reluctantly. And once push came to shove, I regretted it okay. because I was never able to sit out and watch the show. Mm-hmm. Sure, I had to rely on Jerry and Andy to to fix it to help guide me to help fixing it. And, um, and then of course 
being the composer and being the star of the show, being the lead in the show, which pretty much I was never off stage other than that brief moment at the end of the first scene where I had had the nervous breakdown left and then come back. I was never off stage. So I was absolutely exhausted, you know, and the morning after the reviews came out and after we opened, I sat on the couch and my upper upper west side apartment yeah. and I couldn't move the yeah. entire day. Also knowing that I had to go back and play the show. Exactly. Which I thought like I you know, and I even called, you know, the the lead producer, Michael, and I said, just close it. I can't go back. Just close it. We're, we're, you know, oddly enough, though, even the, the even the audiences in New York preview audience were having a great time. Yeah, yeah. There, it was a great response. And there was even a push from some, God love them from some of the theater community, other shows who had seen the show, had been invited to see the dress rehearsal. They were like out on the street handing out flyers oh. for us. Oh, wow. Literally. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a wonderful thing. Yeah. But Frank Rich and all the critics just they absolutely killed us, you know. And the show ended up, they ended up spending, much to my chagrin, because I argued against it, and my collaborators argued for it, the producers spent the rest of the reserve trying to keep the show open to see if it would build an audience. So we ran for about three weeks, and I had argued, let's take that money and make an album. So maybe somewhere out there, there will be other productions. Yeah. I hate to say I told you so, but yeah, I told you, you so. Right. Is there any? Is there a demo somewhere? There's a demo with Samuel French, who has licensed the show. Yeah, um, but it's uh, you know it's like a four song demo. It's yeah, like it's, something it's limited. Literally came from like scratch tapes, you know. Yeah. So there was never anything formal. And there's unlike Three Guys Naked, where there's been you know lots of productions yeah. around the world over the over the years yeah. since. Uh, there's a really literally been maybe two or three productions of mail ever done, ever. Wow. You know? Well, let's change that, listeners. Shoot. <laughs> Samuel French has it. Samuel French has it, folks. Because it's it. wonderful. It really is wonderful. You know, it actually was kind of a perusal yeah, it, it, score. Yeah, I think a lot of it was, um, you know, I again, it's I had, had no perspective on it. Uh, but I think there's more there than the critics gave us credit for. Because, again... The critics in Los Angeles loved it. Yeah. yeah. And the audiences in LA loved it. And we also thought, is that that East Coast, West Coast thing, you know, where critics in New York are going to hate it if they loved it in Los Angeles? Right. You know, my, my friend Gordon Davidson, who had had a play, Zoot Suit, yeah. had the same problem with Zoot Suit. It had been a huge success in LA, mm-hmm. brought it to New York, and the critics killed it. Yeah. And, and Gordon said, you know, it's that, this those critics. Mm-hmm. They, you know, if LA li- hate, liked it, They'll hate it. <laughs> oh, it's so true. You know? That's nice. So we thought maybe we have maybe we're a part of that. Right. Right. Anyway, it all. Do you still compose? Um, I yeah I, I yeah a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> we went on actually Jerry and I went on to to do another show that never got produced because uh-huh. I had a falling out with Jerry okay. quite honestly um, uh, over over the show um, and. Uh, a lot of it was quite beautiful. Mm. It was based on a book by Somerset Mom called Then and Now mm. about Machiavelli and Caesar Borgia wow. in Florence, Italy, wow. back in the 1400s. And um, it was a, you know, but we had a falling out, and so that partnership dissolved. Um, I went on to write, uh, uh, I did write, an, uh, I, for years I didn't write anything, you right. know. 
because I, I was so disappointed by what happened with mail. That sure, was an intense sure. experience. Yeah, it was very intense. Honest. But I went on to write a, a, a show called Streets of America, oh, okay. uh, which is about uh, uh, young people in the 60s uh, uh, during the whole anti-war movement and, and the upheaval of the 60s. We actually did, a, and they actually did a full, we did some readings of it. We actually did a full production at Point Park University. Oh, great. Yeah, they actually mounted it and did a production. And uh, this was while I was doing uh, Legally Blonde. Oh. But I was able to, uh, they actually gave me a night off from Legally Blonde. I was able to fly to, you know, fly out to Pittsburgh nice. to get to see it. Yeah. You know, because I wasn't able to other than that. And, um and I watched it, and there was a lot of really good stuff there, but I thought, like, this really needs a lot of work, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And um, and uh, so I really haven't done much uh, since then. I, You know, I just haven't sure. had okay. the desire the right and, and, you know. Maybe sometime. Yeah, that's going to be the right some, thing. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, funny. I ran into Michael Starobin. Oh yeah, you know, and and who had, who had music orchestrated, orchestrated three guys near mm -hmm. the waist down. Yeah. He had done the arrangements, and and Michael, uh, even just, I it was at the opening of Falsettos, the revival yeah. of Falsettos. Did, here, he did the orchestration just a, for, um, yeah. like a month ago, yeah. whatever, which he, he worked did those on. Those orchestrations. Yeah. But uh, Michael Starobin even said to me there, he said, "Why don't you write some more?" You know, because yeah. he really had liked what I'd done with Three Guys in yeah. Mail. You know, well, they're wonderful pieces. Thank they're you. They're wonderful Thanks. pieces, and, <laughs> yeah. I, and I hope we'll see them again in New York, if not yeah. across the country soon. <laughs> uh, coming back now to Marvin again. Yeah. After after all of this, so what got you back back into Marvin's shoes? Well, we had you know we uh, over the in the late eighties we had done uh, you know Bill had actually gone on to write Falsetto Land yes, and uh, we actually did a couple of workshops you know over the years. So we, I kept all through the eighties I kind of kept coming, kept back, coming back to Marvin to yeah you know yeah. as did Steve Bogardus and and Chip Zine. Um, so we did a couple of workshops uh, in the late 80s, and then finally in 1990, Playwrights Horizon decided to produce Falsetto Land. And so we all gathered again, this time with Faith Prince as Trina, yeah. uh, uh, and we all gathered again to do Falsetto Land. And uh, that ran for, uh, I think, about a year at wow. Playwrights and then at the Lucille Lortel yeah. in the village. Mm -hmm. um, and then I left that to go to City of Angels right. uh, or something. Yeah, yeah I, think I think so. City of Angels. Yeah, yeah. City of Angels. Stein and, and Yeah, Steve City of Angels. Angels. Yeah. And because um, I needed to make some money. Hey, you yes. know, that was a big problem. Totally. You know, can't afford to work off-Broadway. Well, we <laughs> and we just recently, Equity just made the petition to to bring, you know, off-Broadway, make more money for the Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. It's still absolutely. pertinent today. You know? Absolutely. So, yeah, understandable. So, so anyway, uh, yeah, so that... That's how that I came kind of came back to Marvin, and then um, and then, then in in 1992, uh, you know, Graziella Danielle had done put the two shows together for the yes. last time right. up at, at Hartford Har yes. Stage, right? And Lapine went to see it and loved it, loved what Grazia had done. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, yeah, she's she's, she's great. So I mean, she's such a yeah. good lady, yeah. and she's so talented. And um, so and then. Uh, and then Lincoln Center, where they decided they were going to bring that production to Lincoln Center, but they'd already booked the Vivian Beaumont uh, with the the John Guare play, so they offered Bill the smaller theater downstairs. Right. And Bill said no, because the show, you know, the show shows had already been off Broadway. He said they got to be on Broadway now, you know, yeah. and. Um, 
So falsettos on Broadway actually kind of came about because of that, because the Weislers then got on board as producers. Yeah. And um, wow. And then, uh, but they had to, it had to be done in a proscenium theater. Mm-hmm. Because there were no thrust stages mm-hmm. like Grazia done at Hartford. Yeah, she didn't have the time or the interest in restaging it. And Lapine also kind of called all of us up and said, "We don't, we don't want them to bring their show to Broadway. We <laughs> well, want yeah. ours. You, you know, like, like, I'm the guy." He said, who "Oh did, my God, yeah. can you call? You know, he, he 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 like, can you call the Weislers and and." petition for us to you know because jim was trying to was then trying to talk the weissers into doing his production of the two shows yeah wow and that's what happened now you have you've had a very long relationship with stephen bogardis yes yeah going back to the first production (laughs) what do you enjoy about him as a scene partner well he's uh, he's just the best i mean he's so like he's just so generous and so giving and and so uh (laughs) Uh, and just always, the, you know, he's just there. He listens, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. There's like, he's still. I have this b- real thing about stillness on stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, my approach to acting and when I'm directing, and certainly as an actor, is you don't have to do anything. You're interesting enough just being there. Yeah, And then we can layer on some stuff. Mm-hmm. This is what I try to teach students yeah. when I'm do- directing for kids, yeah. you know, because a lot of them just think they have to do a lot of stuff yeah. to, to, yeah. to make an impression when you don't, you know. And Stephen doesn't do anything more than he has to. And I love that. And I'll say this, uh, you know, because he'll, he'll admit it and he knows this. He, you know, he is like... For a straight guy, he is like the gay, the gayest guy yeah. in terms of like he just he's a loving human being, yeah, right? You know whether you know it's like, and he even said when I left, I remember this so clearly when he gave a little curtain speech when I left Falsetto Land to go do City of Angels, yeah. and he said, he said um, to the audience, you know, um, and this is because of our relationship had already been going on for almost ten years. He said, you know what, if, 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 if I wasn't straight and married to my lovely wife, Dana, Michael would be my partner. Oh. He said that to, to the so audience, sweet. you know. Yeah. And, and I thought, like, he's just like, the, he's just like one of the greatest guys you'll ever, ever meet, ever. Yeah. You know, as a scene partner, just as a human being. You know, I can't say enough great about Bogardus. How, what was it like performing that show every night with, you know, I, I saw it. I saw the revival. Yes, and uh, thank God, a lot of my generation has, does not know people who succumb to, to right, AIDS. Right, but exactly. you were playing right in the the midst of it. Absolutely. What is that? What is that experience like? Well, it was it was um, it was very moving. Yeah, you know, um, even opening night, uh, I remember Jim Lapine gathering us all uh, before the performance. And uh, Jim has a little ritual he does with the cast's opening night. And then, and then after that, saying to us, you know, let's just, let's, just go all, let's just all go out there and do this for the people we've lost, for the people we haven't lost, for the ones we love, you know. Um, and, um, and again, right, we were right, in, you know, in 1992, we were right in the middle of the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. And, and we, yeah. 
the number of times in the alleyway there behind the Golden Theater, the number of times that young men would be there waiting for us, saying, like, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm here to go to Sloan Kettering to have treatment. And we just wanted to, I just w- wanted to say thank you for this. And the letters that we would get from, from people suffering from AIDS uh, going through that uh, was just kind of devastating. And, and there were a lot of people, you know, just, pe- well, certainly a lot of c- celebrities came to see the show. And I say that only because they were the ones able to get backstage to us, yeah, you know, because yeah. of their names. Sure. But I remember people like Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward just wanting to come and sit with us in the green room. And just be with us for a while. Wow. Not even talking about much. Yeah. Just being around us after what they had seen. Um, it was such a devastating time in, 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 in America and, wow. our, and around the world that uh, it became a kind of a very profound little show uh, for so many people. Did you know going into it that you were going to have that responsibility as an artist, or was that something that you discovered while the process was going on? It, it, it yeah, no, I didn't know that going in. Uh, it's just something that kind of hit us more and more. Uh, you know, as Bill kept coming in with more material, uh, you know, uh, things that Dr. Charlotte would say about what I didn't remember exactly what it is, but young men come un you know, uh come here frightened and yeah, leave right. unenlightened. Yeah. yeah. Something bad is happening. You know? And then that's what you know, what started hit me more than anything was starting to then in nineteen ninety to ninety two, working on the show, starting to remember the beginning of the AIDS crisis. When again it wasn't called AIDS. Right. They didn't even know what HIV was. It was gay cancer. Yeah. Or it was, you know, and and um and I actually lost a a a good friend of mine in in early nineteen eighty five. Oh. You know, beautiful young guy who was a talent coordinator on the Tonight Show. <laughs> got sick and no one knew what it was in 85 yeah you know so um so it it was only really you know as as bill kept coming in with with more material for falsetto land that i started to feel like oh my god what what we have been through and what we're going through and that's even what made in a way made falsetto land even more profound is that it wasn't even from a 1992 perspective yeah. but from a 1981 perspective mm-hmm. of of like you know like something bad trying is happening. to discover what this is what is yeah. it yeah. you know we don't and know what even, it is even then knowing how bad it was going to get and even wizard dying yeah. at the end we don't know why he died right yeah Jason can't figure it out. I don't know why. None yeah, of us do. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Would you ever want to return to Marvin? If no, the, if a th- no, 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 no. If a third no, piece came I've out, you're, there. you're good. You know, I, I interestingly enough, I, I just uh, a young a young friend of mine, a, a young, terrific young actor, Jesse Barkowitz, who's a hysterical kid, who I directed in Spring Awakening at Kent State, um, actually invited me to see the the, the revival again just last week because he hadn't seen it and he said oh man i really want to go with you because you were marvin man you know i mean he's like one of these very energetic (laughs) young guys yeah and i said okay yeah i'll go because i had gone you know they invited all of us to the opening night yeah yeah Yeah, which is really wonderful so i went again and uh saw it just last week and um and sat there thinking like uh first of all 
you know, loving Christian as Marvin and, and just also thinking, better you than me, pal. <laughs> this is a, you know, because, you know, it's an exhausting oh. role. Oh, I, I mean, yeah. it's an exhausting role to do because it's so emotional. There's so much singing. He's there all the time, you know. <gasps> and, but I also thought, like, um, how, how kind of proud I was that I had been a part of this story right. at one point, uh, but never, never did it cross my mind, though I was loving it and feeling very comfortable, and it was kind of a comforting thing to watch a lot of it and sure. listen to it again. Yeah. Um, uh, it never once crossed my mind, like, oh, I wish I was up there doing it, too. Yeah. I wish I could do it again. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I, having, been with, having been with Marvin from from 1981 to 1990 almost 93 over off and on over the years i really uh, i did the marvin journey yeah. <laughs> you're good yeah he's, yeah he's done how do you prepare yourself for these marathon roles pippin and marvin do you, do you have a process or even now when when it's not necessarily a marathon role but do you have a process that you you sort of follow a ritual. Well, that you sort I just, of I think, just you know, anything that any actor does, you try to take care of yourself. You know, you know basic, basic. You try to get, you know, my my. Whenever I, you know, whenever I would get sick during a show, you know, have some vocal problems, I'd go to Scott Kessler, my my ENT, and you know, Scott would always say, you know what, um, um. You really need to not do a lot during the day. You need to relax and rest. Because, you know, you said during that two and a half hour, two hour, 45 minutes, whatever it is, uh, three hours for ragtime, you know, that's a monster. Uh, But he said, you know, you're doing like an eight-hour day in that that short amount of time. It's really exhausting and intense. So I want you to, to try to take it I want you to cut yourself a slack. Don't think you have to go out and run around all day and then go do the show. I want you to, you know, you like movies? Stay home and watch some movies. Relax, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, go to the gym, but don't do a big deal. You know, do a little workout if yeah. you want to go work out, you know. Uh, just take a walk. Don't go running, you know. Just, I want you to, you know. Um, so, as any actor does, you try to eat well. You try to, you know... Um, but I'm also, you know, quite honestly, and, and I can say this now because I'm, you know, because I'm kind of at the point where, you know, if I work, I work. If I don't, I don't, you know, because I've done it, and, you know, yeah. and, and I, I love working, but, yeah. you know, I do other things too. But, you know, I've also gotten to the point where I don't kill myself in a run. We are living in a world now where the depth of talent in this city is very deep. And unlike many years ago, when people would go, oh, my God, there's an understudy on. And oftentimes that understudy was not as good. Yeah. Today there are three covers for a role right. on Broadway who are spectacular. Absolutely. Believe me. I worked with some of these, some of these young kids in On the Town last year, oh, yeah. a couple of years ago. I was shocked at how good they were, yeah. you know. And so I, I just, you know, and and my doctor is, is has the same philosophy too. You know, he said, you know what, your voice is shot. You're a little sick. Take a couple of days off. You've got an understudy, you know, who who's going to do a great job. Yeah. You know, so I'm I'm also at the point now where, first of all, I'm I'm at an age where those big huge roles just aren't won't come my way. 
because you know most of those sure. are done by younger people, right. which is great. I right. don't mind that at all. I love the fact. In fact, I even when so, when I get an offer for something, uh, you know, I, I say, well, first of all, I need to read it and see how big the part is, <laughs> <laughs> because I even you know like yeah. even with John Rando when he called me about on the town, he said, yeah. you know, you only have like. 18 minutes on stage or something, <laughs> you know, and I said, perfect, perfect. perfect. That's right my, you know? yeah. um, so, um, but you know, I just, you know, I, I, I just don't kill myself because I know the show is going to be covered. Yeah. You know, not that times someone will email me and say, I saw the show last night. You were sick. Damn you. You know, right. um, a friend of mine who may be, you know, especially people sure. who come in from LA, you of know, course, of course. but, um, but that's that's my philosophy now a little yeah. bit, you know. Yeah. And I, again, as I know that the show's not going to suffer, because God knows, you know, every you know everybody that cast today is like so good. Yeah, it's so it's good. A lot oh of great God. talent out there. Absolutely. So, do you want to ask about your favorite? So in two thousand three, <laughs> on the Sunday nights and Monday nights of a winter. <laughs> At that small theater, yes. at the, which is the Mitzi Newhouse Theater, Mitzi I think, Newhouse. in the Lincoln yeah. Center, I went to see this show because there was some other play was going on, and on the dark nights yes. they had the songs of William Finn elegies, and you're yes. in this with Betty Buckley and Christian Borle, who, who we were just talking, who Carolee Carmelo, I didn't even put that together, and yeah, Carolee Christian. and Betty Buckley, and who was the uh, and Keith Byron Kirk, who was one of my Keith favorite Byron favorite Kirk. singers. Um, it was just a song cycle. Just I say yeah. of of these songs that William Finn wrote that were elegies of people he had known. Yes. They were almost little uh, I want to say death notes in a way, but just right. memories of people. Mm-hmm. I was completely rocked by this piece of theater. Oh, completely that's great. Completely rocked. <laughs> um, do you have memories of that? I mean, what? Oh yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. And you can speak a little also of your relationship to. You know, Bill Finn. I always thought you guys were like old friends. That you were cast as Marvin because you were friends, and uh, and I'm and I'm no, loving well, finding be, out that you it, were auditioning first, and then probably oh, absolutely. Subsequently became well, to be honest with you, initially too, way back in the day, you know, when we got into rehearsals for March with Valsettos, just if you want to talk about my relationship with Bill Finn, yeah. Initially, Bill hated me. <laughs> Literally, for the first couple of weeks of rehearsal, he would just like. You know, I, I, you know, I, I kept seeing his reaction in rehearsal, and he was every time I'd open my mouth, he was going like, oh, you know, and literally, I mean, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's the truth, it. you know. And if Bill, you're out there listening to this. It is the truth, man. <laughs> but then, you know, but then, oh, oh, you know, over the time we worked together, I guess he started to understand what I was doing more. I got what he was writing better, you know, and, um. And the truth of the matter is, Bill, Bill and I have never become great friends. We're, we're colleagues. Yeah. Um, but the fact is, like, um, in the, you know, uh, I had been Marvin for so long that when Bill started, you know, Bill would write some, and he admitted this to me, when Bill would write a male voice, he heard my voice a lot of the time. Um, in fact, I actually did, at the public theater with Graziella Danielle in the late 90s, I actually did the first workshop of A New Brain. Oh, And wow. playing Gordon, playing the lead. And because Bill, nice. and Bill, that's when Bill said to me, I can't get your voice out of my head, uh-huh. so you gotta play this part. <laughs> okay. Ultimately, when it when Jim took over as director and writer, or maybe Grazi kept directing, I can't remember now. Anyway, but when it when Lincoln Center picked it up, mm-hmm. um, um, 
they, you know, uh, Jim and Andre called, you know, called me and said, we're not going to use you because it's going to look like another Marvin musical. Yeah. 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 And I, t- I said, I totally get that, man. Yeah. Totally. Uh, you know, yeah. so I said, good luck. Have a great time. Because yeah. I, I loved a lot of that material. Yeah. But my, the point is, is Bill kind of kept hearing my voice in his head, which having been a composer, too, you, 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 you do that um, with certain actors. Uh, so then when Bill wrote Elegies, um, he and Grazzi, uh, you know, asked me to be a part of that group mm-hmm. uh, because he had, ki- again, said he had kind of written some of these songs with my voice in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, we did it uh, at Lincoln Center. Very, in some ways, a very kind of strange little run. It was, wasn't Because I mean, I'd never done a show where you just do, like, two performances and then you have a <laughs> week like off. Sunday and Monday night. Yeah. That was it. Sunday, Monday night. On another set. Because there I was mean, another set. Ulster something. Yeah. The, yeah. The, something it was a war Ulster. play about yeah. the Ulster, mm-hmm. you know, about World War One. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, so much of uh, what Bill wrote for Elegies was so beautiful and just... And I loved it. I just, uh, you know, did we you had know a any, great time doing it. Did you know any of the people that you were singing about? I mean, you had like Jack Eric Williams and Ricky uh, Gordon and... Um, I didn't. I, I only knew male, that, You know, the Mark, this all-male Thanksgiving that we, you know... You no, had. I only knew Arthur, really, because yeah. oh, Arthur is a part of that, Bill's partner, yeah. you know, because uh, Arthur kind of figures in in some of these stories. Um but no, I really didn't, you know, some of the, you know, like Peggy Hewitt. Yeah. Uh, I had met her, yeah. you know, but I didn't really know her. Wild. So, uh, Joe Papp I had met, oh, yeah. but I didn't really know Joe, you know. So, so th- no, these people I didn't know. Cool. Uh, but, um, but I, uh, you know, uh, we had a great time together. I, I, of course, had worked with Carol Lee. I'd worked with Betty. I'd worked with Christian. Yeah. In a workshop of Dirty Dancing, the music, uh, you know. <laughs> Don't ask. That was around uh, back yeah. wow. 13 years ago. Amazing. Well, it was, Whoa. yeah, this, this was like during 9-11, when 9-11 hit. We were in the middle of that, oh, that wow. workshop. Uh, so, I, I you know, uh, so, you know, so I knew Christian. Yeah. Uh, I knew Betty. I knew Carol Lee. I got to know Keith Byron. Yeah. You know. It seemed like a great ensemble. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a great it, it, ensemble. It seemed like a really, it just I had done Ragtime so with good. Grazzi. Oh, um, yeah. I had done the, the national tour of Ragtime with Graziella. Mm-hmm. Um so we just, you know, we had we had a great time. Yeah. I mean, it was again just really, and every time we did it, um, you know, there were certain places in the show where I I just found myself, as I did with falsettos, you know, I got very I got found myself incredibly moved by what Bill had written, yep, and um, and just in in kind of awe of, you know, because the the the, the wonder to me the wonderful thing about Bill Finn is. He sometimes uses can use the most ordinary of language to say the most profound things. I yeah. don't know how he does it. Totally, and and it and it works. I want I want to say he gets away with it, but it's not even that because it's it's brilliant in its it's brilliant. simplicity. If that makes sense, there's a simplicity to it which 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 kind of folds right into my whole attitude about don't do anything. Yeah. You know, be yeah. simple. Simpl- yeah. Simple is better. Totally. Less is more. You know, yeah. and there's things that the way Bill writes, it's just. You know, and I and again, just last week watching the the revival of falsettos for the second time, yeah. um, I just listened to things and I thought, like, boy, that's just it. it it's just genius. And there's I'm still sorry. no one quite like it. I mean, you know, you hear no. copycats of other composers, but I don't hear anyone really 
doing what he has done no. and, and improving it at least because no. it's already there. I mean, it's yeah, there's you know, there's um, you know, Mark, what, what is that song in Elegies? Mark and Monica, yes, the and one that's waiting, before, waiting for Mark to get better. That's right, the one that, and, I'm it, in, you know, and it sets up any, 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 any time, and, uh, and but it's also you know, it's it's like we're just talking about Mark waiting for Mark to get better, yeah. but then all of a sudden he goes into every Thanksgiving, Mark made his and own male Thanksgiving dinner. And it's like, I'm getting chills right now just doing that. Yeah, Every same. night I would do that. It would kill me. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, it's almost like there's no reference to that until suddenly a reminder of who Mark is. Exactly. And I'm thinking like, you know, and then Keith and Keith Byron and Christian and I would do those harmonies of oh. da 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 do 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 And it was like... And it was like the three of us just, I, I think, <laughs> blowing our horns. <laughs> I just think we sounded great together. You and did. I, and I, we loved singing that so much. Yeah. And what Bill had written, the simplicity of that, and then going into Carol Lee's song, you know. Devastating. And then, I mean, it was... you know, and then so much of that, the, the, the song of, you know, uh, about about the f- the the phone call from the World Trade That's Center, right, the you know, song. the nine yeah. eleven song. It's... Tell my tell my perfect children, you know, I wasn't perfect or whatever. Except that is. in loving them. Except, except in, in loving, loving you. Yeah. And except yeah. in loving you. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like um, it's like so many things he just does. He says are just. They're great. It's just great. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's no, great stuff. You, no, I'm is, so with you. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it, to this day, it's one of the highlights yeah. of, of my good. theater going experience. I'm glad. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. Total inspiration. Very proud of yeah. that show. Yeah, yeah. That little show. You should be. And then you get introduced to a whole new generation with Legally Blonde, right? <laughs> yes. Like, speaking, speaking which of is students, actually, you know, which is, you know, our students love for, that for, show. for yes. most for, for oh, most God. young people. It's the only thing they know me they're from. Like, what, certainly, what movie? Yeah, yeah they're totally, like, oh, totally. the musical. That's how they know you. <laughs> well, what happened it's with Legally enough. Blonde is, you know, uh, and it's funny. Even last year when we were finishing up doing the On the Town revival. Mm-hmm. You know the number of, of of young kids at the on the autograph line would say you were Professor Callahan, <laughs> and you know the the thing that the thing that was amazing about Legally Blonde, of course, in that regard, is that we, you know, the producers made the deal with MTV to film yeah. it. Yeah, I watched it. So yeah. you know, people all over the world saw that. You know, <laughs> so to a whole generation of people, I'm Professor Callahan. Yeah. You know, that's what they know me yeah. from. And you have you no know. problem with that whatsoever. Absolutely not. I love it. Uh, Legally Blonde was, uh, you know, uh, uh, a, you know, an inc- incredibly fun experience, you know, because of Jerry Mitchell, who's a, a genius, but also just like one of the, like I, I was saying before, one of the most fun people to be in a room with, you know. Um And, uh, and it all kind of, you know, quite, quite briefly, that all kind of came about, uh, you know, very quickly and very kind of weird, crazily, because I actually was out of town uh, directing a production of Ragtime at a university and and um, about to go into tech. And I had actually turned down the audition for Legally Blonde a couple of times, saying I just wasn't, didn't think I wanted to do it. I mean, I, I had other stuff on my plate in terms of directing. And and I, I guess apparently Jerry just, they they ended up, they just couldn't find someone that Jerry was happy with for Callahan. And so Bernie Telsey, the casting director, you know, called me up again and said, can you please audition for this show? <laughs> and I said, uh, you know, and, and um, 
And I say, and I say, you know, no, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, no, they were, oh I, my God, no, please, no, Michael, but, we're desperate. Only course. you could save us. No, it wasn't that. It was just like, no, but you, it, Jerry really thinks that you might be quite right for had this. Had you worked with him before? I had worked on a, we did a, um, he had assisted a Bob Avian okay. on uh, an off Broadway review called Putting It Together. Yes. Sign of Music with Julie of Andrews. Oh, yes. At There's Manhattan a cast Theater recording Club. of that, yeah. Chris Durang, yes. you know, Rachel York. Uh, and Jerry had assisted him. Okay. On that, uh, and I had known Jerry over the years. You know that was in the early '90s. Um, so anyway, uh, but so I finally said, "Okay, I, I'm." You know, I'm. I'm. So I flew into New York just to audition, and uh, for the writers, uh, for Larry and Nell, for Jerry, uh, for the musical director, for Bernie, and um, you know, just kind of you know, saying you know, they kind of. Gave me, had me look at Blood in the Water, and right. I kind of, I didn't really know it well, but I just played, kind of riffed it, played around with it, yeah. you know, just almost cold read it, you know, and um, and got back on a plane and went back to my tech, right, and um, got a call, you know, later that day, you know, nice. like, uh, well, Jerry wants you to be in it, so that's how it all came about, you know. Where did this passion for directing come from? Well, I had. Um, I, I had just I, I had worked with a lot of good directors, and I I just uh, saw what they were doing, you know, and and uh, I learned a lot from them, uh, and I and I just kept thinking, you know, many years ago, um, uh, way back in you know way back in the eighties, late seventies even, I thought like, boy, I'd love to try that someday, you know, I'd love to be the the captain of the ship, I'd love to be the guy that tells everybody what to do <laughs> totally <laughs> you know and i actually got my first chance it was actually in the late 80s it was after mail and um uh, an old friend of mine peter newfeld who had been a, a general manager uh for broadway shows was an alum at at the college of william and mary in virginia in williamsburg virginia and he called me up and saying you know look, they're they're looking to give a a, a what was then a very substantial grant to an artist to come down and spend a semester there and teach a master class and direct something or be in a play yeah. or something. And I said, I'm there. I'll do it. I'll direct, but I want to direct something. And I actually uh, picked the play. It was a play with music called Becoming Memories by a, a man named Arthur Giron, a wonderful play that I had found. Um, about three generations of five different families. It was kind of an epic play in America from the 1800s to the early 1900s. Oh, interesting. Uh, really, and, and it had music in it. There was like existing folk music and stuff, so there was a small band. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I, this is what I want to do. And so this was 1989, I think. And that was the first time I ever directed and I got a book on how to direct. I was going to say, were you scared? <laughs> like, I was absolutely, yeah. I was petrified because I was getting all these students looking at me like, okay, what do we do now, Mr. Yeah. Rupert? Just Harold Clerman. Like, I got, a, right know, I got a, model, a model of the set with little, you know, little army figures of that I, you know, literally in my office awesome. at William and Mary. Wow. And I sat there and I, wow. you know, and I kind of taught myself how to direct. Yeah. And from the time I did that, I, I thought I want to do more of this. Because it actually ended up being quite successful. Yeah. So I thought, I want to do more of this. And um, 
so I've had the chance to do do a few things over the years. Um, the, actually, the only th- other than a couple of workshops, the only thing I've done in New York uh, was at the York Theater, a two character musical called Thrill, Thrill Me. Me. Yeah, uh, oh yeah, of course. Leopold and Loeb, really. Yeah. I did that, but uh, I haven't really pursued mm-hmm. a directing career. You know, I just kind of get asked by universities to, and I and again I love working with students because you kind of be you can be a teacher, which a director is anyway. Yeah, but I. I I love kind of seeing young people at the beginning of their lives in this business because it also kind of reminds me of why I got in the business totally. originally. You can mentor, too. You know, because at this point, honestly, after 50, almost 55 years in this that's business. Amazing. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that's why. Since I was a kid. Almost 55 years in this business, I just, um, you know, as we all do, you know, we know how it all works. We come in the back door. It's not magic many times. It's a, it's a job, yeah. you know? So, you know, the, the wonderful thing about working with students is they still have stars in their eyes, and they still see it as magic. Totally. And, uh, and that makes me see it as magic, too. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate them for that, and, it's a, and, and, and I love that. It's a, reason, a big reason why I love Working with students. I've never heard it articulated quite like that. And yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with you. That's so cool. true. It's so, yeah. Yeah. It is magical to see that sort of excitement. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there is, a, there is a reason we all got into this business in the first right? place. And, uh, and, and even, even when I would be in shows here in New York, I would sometimes try to, on my night off, if there, there was a show running that I hadn't seen, uh, there would be times when I would, I would try, make an effort to go see something, which, you know, many times on your night off, the last thing you want to be in is a Broadway house yeah. or an off-Broadway theater. Yeah. You know, but, I would, but there were times when I would really get to uh, a place where I thought, like, I need to sit in an audience again. I need to feel what that audience feels because I'm, I'm losing it. I'm losing the magic. It's just a job. And... Uh, and oftentimes that would pick me up again for a few months, yeah. and 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 I'd kind of have a you know kind of have a fresh take on things, yeah. and you know, and in fact, very quick Fosse story too. During Sweet Charity, yes, Bob came back to see the show at one point, and in the run, and came into my dressing room afterwards, and I said, he said, I think you're a little bored out there, aren't you? <laughs> I said, really? Does it look like that? He said, you're, it looks okay, but I think you know, I think you're a little bored. You know, I think because you've been doing it now for what eight nine months, and I think you got to remember what we talked about. You know, at the very beginning about you know, you need to get back into that. She says something, mm-hmm. and then you react, mm-hmm. and then she reacts, then you react. It's in the moment, you know. And he said, uh, and 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 then he said something that that is like has stayed with me to this day, and what happened afterwards, is because he said. He said, I want you to, and, and this was so manipulative, I just want you to know. But he said, we owe it, you know, we owe it to that audience out there. We really do. Because you know what? There may be someone out there or a family out there. This may be the only Broadway show they ever see, ever. Maybe it's all they can afford, or it's the only time they can ever get to New York. And to them, what we're doing up there is magic, Okay. And he said, we really owe it to them to be as present on stage as possible and to be as sharp as we can be. And I kind of looked at Bob and kind of half rolled my eyes saying, 
You son of a bitch. Right? <laughs> You're manipulating me right now, <laughs> and you know it. <laughs> um, but I just said, okay, all right, I get it. Okay. I swear to you, this is the truth. The very next night, I walk out on stage, and in my peripheral vision, in the front row of the Minskoff Theater, I see a not terribly well-dressed family of four, front row center, beaming, their faces beaming up at the stage, looking like they are having the most transcendent, brilliant, wonderful experience they have ever had. Mm. They are in a Broadway theater seeing a Broadway show. And, of course, I got off stage and I thought, Fosse planted those people there. <laughs> that son of a bitch. He planted those people I there. I love that's where you go. It's like, yeah, no. Because I'd gotten there. as cynical as Bob was. Oh you know, Bob was a very cynical man. Oh, that's so but funny. But I thought, like, did he plant those people there? <laughs> that's Because I swear to God, that honestly happened. Yeah. The very yeah. next night. It's so funny. <laughs> I love anyway, that. yeah. No, I think that's that's beautiful. Actually. And we we have to thank you because you have given us so many transcendent experiences over the years. Oh. You, well, thanks, man. Your performances <laughs> yeah. are, are are wonderful, and and we are so happy that one legally blonde is preserved on video, so Absolutely. people can see. Uh, but uh, just so many wonderful recordings and so many live experiences, and we can't wait to see what's next. Thanks. Indeed. Thank yeah, you. thank you Indeed. for joining us today, Absolutely. Michael. Absolutely, thanks for having thank me. You. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Till next time. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.